We would begin continuing in the book of Ephesians. However, um, providentially and in consultation with my fellow elders, we deemed it appropriate to preach one of these Lord's Days that we are celebrating the Lord's Supper to preach on the Lord's Supper. And so it is my privilege to, to attempt to do that for you here this morning. We will be looking at Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 14. And we're going to be looking at Exodus 12 to put this in context. Because it is in the context of the Passover that we find this passage. Jesus, now I know there's people that argue this is not the Last Supper, this is not the Passover, and then there are those Gospels that say that it is, and I believe it is, it was. And so we're going to look at the Passover and some things about that were important about the Passover and why the Jews celebrated the Passover feast and why they commemorated it. And then Jesus giving of the Lord's Supper, what we call the Lord's Supper, the similarities. Uh, now there are, there are Bible scholars that argue that the, that the Lord's Supper is a replacement of Passover. And there are some that argue, no, it's not a replacement. It's a new institution. And so uh, we're going to take a look at that this morning. However, they both have very important similarities. Very important similarities between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. So we'll look first at Exodus chapter 12. And just we're going to look briefly. Now you know the, of course the Passover is, came on the eve of the tenth and final plague against Pharaoh in Egypt. And it was when the death angel came throughout all the land and killed every firstborn in the land of people and animals. But the thing that saved the people of Israel, their firstborn was for those who had in faith put the blood of a Passover lamb on the doorposts and on the top, on the lintel. They were passed over by this death angel. And so that, that was given to Israel now as, as a, a remembrance, as a, something that they must do each year. It's starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb, according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without spot and blemish. A male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. 
Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they shall eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hands, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The blood of the Passover lamb was a sign, number one, of obedience, because God commanded them to do this. It was a sign of faith. They believed that God would spare them if they were obedient in this. Now, we're not told in Scripture, and I'm not going to speculate, that were there any, any households in Israel that didn't do this? I don't know. I can promise you this. If there were, their firstborn died. This was a sign of their faith in God, that God would preserve them. Now, what was God going to preserve them from? The death of their firstborns, which was an outpouring of God's wrath against Egypt, against the Pharaoh, against the, the idolatry of this nation. Not only was the, the lamb to be slaughtered, but its, its blood was to be applied as a covering, as a, as a sign, as a deterrent. And its flesh was to be eaten. But we know, being uh, in New Testament era, New Testament Christians, because we have the whole book now, right? We know what this lamb was. This lamb pointed to Christ. Pointed to the, the broken body and the, and the spilled blood of Christ. What a wonderful picture of what Christ would later say of himself. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. John 6.51 Now, we know the first Passover meal, there was an event that took place. That was the slaying of the, of the firstborn. But from that point forward, every year it was to be celebrated as a remembrance. As a remembrance. Remembering what God had done, that He had brought them out with a mighty hand. And that He had passed over. He had not poured out His wrath on the nation of Israel's firstborn. Now that's significant too, the firstborn. And so they were to, to look at this as they celebrated it each year <clears throat> and remember what God had did for them. What God had did to the Egyptians. More importantly, this was to point them to the future Messiah. The future Messiah, the one who was promised in Genesis 3.15. 
The one who had been promised to Abraham. So Jesus now, in Mark chapter 14, he's just hours away from the cross. And he's with his disciples in an upper room, celebrating for the last time the Passover meal the Passover celebration because in just a few hours in just a few hours in the next day he will fulfill that Passover celebration and he will become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world He will shed His blood so that God's wrath may pass over all who are found by faith in Christ Jesus. Who are covered, as it were, by the blood of the Lamb. It is in that context that we find our passage today. And so, we are in Mark chapter 14 starting in verse 22, going down through 25, when Jesus institutes what we call the Lord's Supper. God's Word reads, And as they were eating, He took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And He took a cup. When He had given thanks, He gave it to them, And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we beg you now to open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to your word. That as we contemplate this Lord's Supper, as we contemplate the elements on this table, that we will truly see Christ, and that we will truly, by faith, be partakers of all the glorious benefits of his sacrifice. That you would pour out your grace upon us through this, one of the means of grace that you have given us. Help us to rightly comprehend these things in our hearts and in our minds. Help us to see Christ in these through faith. I ask in His holy name. Amen. Amen. First, speaking of the elements of the Lord's Supper, we have the the bread which we believe is the spiritual body of Christ. It represents His body. It does not become His literal body. We reject the heresy of transubstantiation. And we we would even reject the error of consubstantiation. But we would also (laughs) reject the error, I think, of, of just memorialization as well. It's more. And I hope that we see that in this sermon today as they were eating he took the bread and after blessing it broke it 
and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Several things are important there. One, the element, the bread. But two, the actions, the blessing of the bread and the breaking of the bread. These are all significant. William Hendrickson explains, at this point, now he's one that, that claims that the Passover now just turned into the Lord's Supper. I don't know if we agree with that. But he says, at this point, Passover passes over into the Lord's Supper. For it was while, toward the close of the Passover meal, the men were all eating freely, that Jesus instituted the new sacrament that was to replace the old. A few more hours and the old symbol, being bloody, for it required the slaying of a lamb, will have served its purpose forever, having reached its fulfillment in the blood shed on Calvary. Nevertheless, by historically linking Passover and the Lord's Supper so closely together, Jesus also made clear that what was essential in the first was not lost in the second. Both point to him the only all-sufficient sacrifice for the sins of his people, end quote. Now, whether we agree with his view on this or not, there are a lot of things that he says in this statement that are true. They both point to Christ. But the one more fully than the other, the new more fully than the old. Because in the old, it points to a promised Messiah. In the new, it points to the one who is that Messiah. And we don't have to look forward now and hope for something to come, for someone to come save us. Because He has come. And He has paid the penalty for sinners. And He beckons sinners to come to Him in faith for this salvation. It is important to note that Jesus, after blessing the bread, broke it. Symbolizing that his body would be broken for sinners. Jesus was giving himself as the bread of life. Let's read of that, what he says in in John chapter 6. Let's read a few verses of John chapter 6 where Jesus proclaims himself to be that bread of life. John chapter 6, and we'll, we'll start in verse 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus breaks this bread prophetically and symbolically. Prophetically in that just... In a few hours, his body will be broken for sinners. But symbolically, so the disciples will have a tangible picture of what would take place. Now, those disciples that actually witnessed the the crucifixion of Christ, 
I'm sure that, that could never, they could never lose that image. We don't have that image. But we've been given this as a tangible picture of what took place as we contemplate the, the bread being crushed between our teeth, knowing that Christ was crushed for our iniquities. His body was broken, and by His stripes we are healed. And so Jesus is, is, is presenting Himself as this Passover lamb. In the doubly prophetic words of Abraham, God will provide for Himself the lamb. Remember that back in Genesis chapter 22. Not only did that mean that God would spare Isaac and give a substitute, but that looks forward to God sparing sinners and giving a substitute. In the gospel proclamation of John the Baptist in John chapter 1, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus is saying, basically to His disciples in instituting this Lord's Supper and saying to us every time we proclaim, every time we, we celebrate this, He's saying, you must spiritually, by faith, take me internally, heart, mind, and soul. I must be in you and you must be in me. What happens when you eat something? Comes part of you. Your body draws forth new, nur the nourishment from it. Nourishment causes growth, right? And so Jesus must be in us. If we are partakers of Him in faith, He is in us. And so Jesus says, Take, this is my body. And so the bread takes on a whole new meaning. Yes, it remains ordinary bread. It doesn't change. It's still bread. But something takes place. Something takes place. When, when the bread is prayed over, when it is blessed, it is set apart from a common use to a holy use. It is no longer meant for common use. We don't just take any sandwich bread and, and say, okay, I'm going to have a sandwich with this, and oh, by the way, let's use this for, for the Lord's Supper too. No, that's, that's a different meal. That's, that's something separate. We take this bread, we pray over it, and that sets the bread aside from a common use, which would be making a sandwich or whatever, to a holy use, partaking of Christ by faith and all the benefits that that implies no it, the bread does not become the body of Christ as a matter of fact the, the writers of our confession address that very issue in chapter 30 of the London Baptist Confession which deals with the Lord's Supper in paragraph 2 in this ordinance Christ is not offered up to his father nor any real sacrifice made at all for the remission of sin of the quick or the dead, 
but only a memorial of that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross once for all. In other words, we are not re-sacrificing Christ. And in, in, in the heresy of transubstantiation, that's what Rome teaches. That every time this, that they celebrate the Mass, that Christ is, is once again uh, sacrificed for the sins of his people. And that's, that's wrong on so many counts. First of all, Christ has a, a resurrection body, but a body nonetheless. And a body that cannot be in more than one place at one time. And that body is currently seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And so for all these congregations everywhere celebrating Mass, they're saying that that body is present physically. And that blood is present physically. And that's being offered up as a sacrifice once again for the sins of God's people. And that would negate the... Let's just throw out the whole book of Hebrews, right? That says that that sacrifice was made. And that's all that was needed. So to say that we need to sacrifice Christ every time we partake of this is saying His sacrifice then didn't count. It was worthless. That's a pretty strong statement to make of Christ and His sacrifice. Calling it worthless. Now our... Framers of our confession, they say this, So the popish sacrifice of the Mass, as they call it, is most abominable, injurious to Christ's own sacrifice, the alone propitiation for all the sins of the elect. No, this is not a sacrifice of Christ. This is a spiritual sacrifice that we offer in partaking of it uh, an oblation, as, as the, the confession says, of praise and thanksgiving. Next, we see that Christ mentions the blood. And what happens when you when you drink something? It's in a it's in a container, right? And you're pouring it out. Whether you pour it out on the ground or into another container or into your mouth, you're pouring it out. And so we see in the drinking of this that Christ is picturing his blood being poured out. But it's not just poured out on the ground like a drink offering, right? We drink it. It's poured into our mouths. We take it internally. You know, Jesus also talked about that in John chapter 6, did he not? You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And many people didn't like that saying. They said, man, this guy, is, he's, he's, he's wanting us to be cannibals. You know that the early church was, was called cannibals? They, they were thought, you know, they, it was thought of them that they were uh, cannibals because of this very um, ordinance here. But we know that that's not the case. Jesus and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Christ's blood fulfilled the old covenant. Christ's blood fulfilled the promises 
of the Old Covenant. Right? No longer was it necessary to to slaughter lambs, the Passover lamb, or any other animal for any other sacrifice. There was no longer the the, the guilt offering that was needed. No longer the sin offering. Because Christ fulfilled all of those in His shedding of blood. That's why it says covenant, His blood of the covenant. And of course, in in Matthew, says the new covenant. The Bible says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.12 No more is a temporary covering needed. And that's what the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament were. Temporary coverings. Acts of faith. Looking forward to a coming Messiah. Pointing to the one who would shed his blood. That would cause all the rest of those sacrifices to be outdated, antiquated, no longer needed. Because Christ's blood is the once for all time covering for God's people. But not just a covering, but a cleansing. You see, our our sins aren't just covered up and, and swept under the rug somewhere. They're dealt with in the shed blood of Christ. In other words, the requirements of God's law are met. Didn't we sing that in the song this morning? The requirements of God's law are met. What are those requirements? The wages of sin is death. That is the requirement under God's law. The wages of sin is death. And Christ, through His death, fulfilled the law. And God's just demands of it. And he did that as a substitute. Because Christ himself had no need of forgiveness of sin. He was sinless. And so his death is we call a, a, a vicarious death. He, de- he died in our place as our vicar. As our substitute. As a propitiation. To, to appease God's wrath. To satisfy God's wrath and God's justice. Christ's blood gloriously ushered in the final covenant, which I believe was the final covenant in the covenant of grace, which is called the new covenant. All of the old administrations of the covenant of grace, all of the the, the old uh, covenants that were progressively revealing God's plan of redemption, Those are all obsolete now because we are under the new covenant. Those covenants have have been fulfilled. Now that would be another sermon in itself, (laughs) covenant theology in that. Just let me write, let let me tell you in the words of the, the author of Hebrews. He says, in speaking of a new covenant... He makes the first one obsolete. Which is the first one? The first one is the Old Covenant. All those covenants in the Old Testament fall under the Old Covenant. Okay? 
And, and so the Bible says in this new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. Christ in his death and shedding of his blood fulfills God's law, fulfills those promises in that covenant, in those covenants, and through whom we have the forgiveness of sins. No longer do we look to, to, to sacrifice animals. No longer do we have to look anywhere else. We don't have to look to ourselves and how good we can be. We don't have to earn our salvation. We could never do so anyways. And that's what Jesus is saying. All you who labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. He's speaking of just that. Rest from our own self-righteousness. Rest from our own uh, of activities that are trying to endear us to God. That are trying to bring us into God's good favor again. No, Jesus says, no, no. Come to me. I will give you rest. Because I am doing the work. I have accomplished that. The Apostle Paul, speaking of Christ, emphatically declares, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, to be received by faith. Romans 3.25 Again, and we've recently heard this in, in going through Ephesians, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Ephesians 1 7. Ephesians 2 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. And in Colossians 1, we read, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. By the blood of his cross. And so when Jesus says drink. This is my blood. Of the new covenant. He's offering all the benefits. That come. With receiving him by faith. And what he has accomplished through his death. In this cup. We see the great exchange. For you see, there's only two cups. There are only two cups. There's the cup of life, and there's the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus wasn't praying that God would withhold from him the cup of life when he was in Gethsemane. Father, if it be your will, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He was staring at the cup of God's wrath. But he said, not what I will, but what you will, Father. And so, by his death, he drank to the very last drop the cup of God's wrath that was apportioned for God's people. There's still a cup of wrath for all those who are not found in Christ. That will be theirs to partake of for all eternity. And so we see this great exchange. Christ takes the cup of God's wrath. And, and we in faith, as we partake of Christ, as we are in Christ by faith, 
we receive the cup of God's life. And we do so in the elements. We look at these and, and we say, we are receiving Christ. We're not just drinking some juice and eating some bread. We are receiving Christ. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have the great exchange in this cup. This cup does not symbolize God's wrath, but the life we have in Christ Jesus through his sacrifice. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance. It is. And, and we, we do well to keep that in mind. It is a remembrance. The late uh, Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle wrote, The bread is intended to remind us of the body of Christ which was wounded for our transgressions. The wine is intended to remind us of the blood of Christ which was shed to cleanse us from all sin. A clear understanding of this point is of great importance. It will place us in the right position of mind and teach us how we ought to feel in drawing near to the Lord's table. It will produce in us true humility of spirit. The bread and the wine will remind us how sinful sin must be when nothing but Christ's death could atone for it. It will produce in us hopefulness about our souls. The bread and wine will remind us that though our sins are great, a great price was paid for our redemption. Now, not least, it will produce in us gratitude. The bread and wine will remind us how great is our debt to Christ and how deeply bound we are to glorify Him in our lives. May these be the feelings that we experience whenever we receive the Lord's Supper. End quote. So what is the Lord's Supper? One, the Lord's Supper is a sacred proclamation. The Lord's Supper is a sacred proclamation. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now we're familiar with this because we read from this almost every time we have uh, the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Starting in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty. Excuse me. Um, excuse me. Start in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the Lord's table is a sacred proclamation. One, we are proclaiming the gospel to each other. When you partake of this, you are proclaiming to all those involved, I am Christ's and he is mine. I belong to Christ. 
I receive the benefits of Christ's sacrifice. In faith, I take hold of Christ. Jesus died to save sinners. His body was broken and His blood was spilled to save sinners. You are proclaiming this gospel to each other when you partake of the Lord's Supper. It is a sacred proclamation. And you are proclaiming this gospel to the lost who may be in our midst. Those who, who are in attendance, who are lost, they see us partaking of this. And we are proclaiming the gospel in this ordinance. It's a sacred proclamation. It's not just a remembrance. It, it is a remembrance. It's a very important remembrance. But it's a remembrance that points us to so much more than just what took place in the past. But it points us to what's taking place now, here, in the present, and in the future. It proclaims Christ's death. It proclaims the gospel. The Lord's Supper is a time of serious examination, self-examination. We read in 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 27 and onward, there is a way in which you can partake of this Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, which will bring upon you God's chastisement. If you are a believer, we must examine our faith in Christ. First and foremost, we, that was the passage that, that we read in, for our uh, scripture with the catechism, right? Examine yourself. Test yourself. See that you're in the faith. Don't you know that Christ Jesus is in you? If you pass the test, Right? It's a time of self-examination. We must examine our faith. Is He our all in all? Or is there anything in ourselves that we rely on for nearness to God? Not the sincerity of your... Whatever. You, you can't be sincere enough. Not the sincerity of your faith. That's not the object of your faith. Christ is the object of faith. It's not, did I say a prayer and really mean it? Is this Christ really my Savior? And if I can say by faith, yes, then I have passed that examination. Does my life, does the, the way I live my life show that I am in Christ? Am I faithful to Him? Am I faithful to His church and my covenant commitments with you? That's part of this examination. We must examine our motives. What is your motive for approaching the table? Is it to be seen? Well, that is part of our proclamation. It is a public proclamation, right? But that's not my, my motive. My motive is to partake in Christ. You must examine your motive. That's part of self-examination. Do we truly seek Christ in these elements or, or are they just some superstitious things that we partake of or, or has it just become so commonplace that we just do it out of muscle memory? That's another danger in the Lord's Supper, is it not? Th that would be a, a form of partaking unworthily. Just doing so because everybody else is doing it. It's a time of, of self-examination. What does it mean to partake in an unworthy manner? So many people have questions on this, and I think it's very important. 
Okay, so first, first, this ordinance is not for unbelievers. If you are an unbeliever and you partake of this, you are wrong. Period. This is not for you. You are not united to Christ by faith if you are an unbeliever. Therefore, you have no part at this table. And that would be partaking in an unworthy manner. But I don't think that's what Paul primarily has in view when he says that, because he's talking of Christians. So what does it mean for a Christian to take in an unworthy manner? Well, we had just mentioned it previously, right? What The wrong motives. This is not an ordinance for believers as individuals or outside the context of the local church. Now, if you've ever, if you haven't, please don't, but if you've ever went and experienced the Holy Land experience in, in Florida, there's nothing holy about that. For one, that's all commercial. My wife and I did that one year. We dropped our kids off at the Aqua World. They went and swam with the dolphins and whatnot, which we should have done. We'd have had a much better time. We, we said, let's go see what this, this holy land thing is all about. And as soon as you got there, I mean, you had to buy tickets, and then everything was like you go through all this stuff for sale. But they had some good things there. They have a, a history of the Bible, for instance. You go through this little museum thing, and it gives the history of the Bible starting with, well, they start with Moses, and then it goes on, and it gets into the, you know, the age where the Bible people had shed their blood to, to write and translate or whatever. There was some good things there. One thing that was I found good was a depiction of the, the tabernacle um, where, where the priests had to make the sacrifices. I, I thought that was, it put a good picture in your head of, of what you read about in Exodus and Leviticus, right? Well, they also had a reenactment of the Lord's Supper. And my wife and I said, well, let's go in there and let's see what, how they do here. Well, as soon as you walked in the door, they handed you this little packet that had a cracker in it and some grape juice. And I was like, uh-oh. And people packed the room, and then they shut the doors, and they said, okay, for, the, for this uh, ceremony, or they didn't call it a ceremony, for this show, uh, for lack of, I don't remember what they called it, but for this show, please don't get up and leave, because it will disturb the show. And they had this big table that had all this, looked like a big feast and fruit and everything. I'm like, that's not a Passover meal. <laughs> um. Anyways, it was a show, and then some guy came out, supposedly dressed like Jesus, and just started quoting different scriptures, and you know, and this and that, and then, and then, popishly declared some saying in Latin, and then everybody drank their, you know, partook of the, the, the elements, and he led them through this, 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 which is supposed to be a sacred occasion. And I just sat there like, Really? And on the way out, both Tanya and I dropped that thing right in the trash and kept on going. There was nothing holy about those, those items. Because, number one, it was done commercially. And number two, it was done outside the context of a local church. These are just a bunch of people in here partaking of this. And, th and you should see the look on some of their faces. They thought, oh, you know, let me get closer to the table. You know... I was waiting for someone to reach out and touch this guy's robe. 
It's ridiculous. No, this is a sacred occasion that's only for the church. And that, my friends, dear ones, is an unworthy manner. That's sacrilegious. That, that disgusts me, and it should disgust you. Because that's just taking Christ and dragging him through a pile of manure. It's, it's really bad. No, this ordinance is for the church to be taken within the context of the local church. If you are a true believer, you cannot lead your family in this at home. This is not a family ordinance. This is a church ordinance. You can't partake of it as an individual by yourself. This is a church ordinance. And if you do any of those other things, it's an unworthy manner. And that's serious. Because this is the body and blood of Christ, spiritually, the body and blood of Christ. And if we disdain that, we have a problem. Another way that you can do this unworthily, living in habitual, unconfessed sin. Living in habitual, unconfessed sin. And I say that because we're all sinners. We all sin. We can't wait for a time when we're sinless to come partake of this. Otherwise, we'll be drinking with Jesus at the Last Supper. Because then and only then we'll be sinless. Once we leave this body. No. If you live a life of unrepented, of unconfessed sin, and that could be anything, how about fulfilling your covenant community your covenant promises with the church. If you don't love Christ enough to, to participate in the body of Christ, you don't love Christ enough to participate at this table. If you live a life of unrepented, of unconfessed sin, that shows signs of a much deeper problem, which just may be unbelief. And that takes us back to the first one. If you're an unbeliever, this table is not for you. Now, I say this, I'm not trying to scare anybody away. Don't think that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to scare you away. I'm, I'm encouraging you to come to the table, but come rightly. Come for the benefits that are offered through Christ. I think more importantly, though, the Lord's Supper is a means of grace for the believer's confirmation, nourishment, and growth. Confirmation nourishment and growth in his new book that's been recently published dr james renahan it's it's a book that is exposition on the 1689 london confession of faith he writes god promises a blessing to those who participate in faith and the elements are tokens to confirm their faith although the portion of bread and wine distributed and received is small each provides spiritual nourishment in an inverse proportion to their size, as Christ is found by faith, and as with all nourishment, growth results. Spiritual nourishment and the resulting growth serve to strengthen the Christian's commitment to walk in holiness before the Lord. End quote. What is your goal? What is your motive? What is your desire as you approach the Lord's table? It's to be more like Him. And how are we more like Him? To have more of Him in us. 
The Lord's Supper is also a means of grace, whereby our Christian bond with each other is strengthened. You're saying, when you partake of this, you're saying to me, yes, I belong to Christ. And as you permit me to take, take this, you're saying, yes, you belong to Christ. You're, you're bolstering my assurance in this. Christ is using this to, to assure us that we belong to Him. But we don't just belong to Him individually. We belong to Him corporately. We are the body of Christ. We do this corporately. And it, and it bolsters our assurance. It should bring us together in Christian love. It should strengthen our bonds of love one for each other. Because as we do this, as our love grows for Christ, so our love grows for each other. This is an offering of believers, offering up to God a praise and thanksgiving. That our confession calls it an oblation. It's, a, it's an offering of praise and thanksgiving. We were told by the Apostle Paul, right? That we're to be what? What kind of, what kind of offerings to God? Living sacrifices, right? Living sacrifices to our God. Well, <clears throat> if you're still unconverted, if you do not have a saving faith in Christ Jesus, I urge you now, Come to Christ for His life-giving body and blood. Now, I'm not saying come to this table because that does not impart saving, saving life. Okay, but I'm offering you. I'm 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 calling you to come to Christ. Look to Christ. In faith, look to Christ, knowing that He died for sinners. Knowing that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness, run to Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn away from your sins. Turn, turn away from your life of self-worship. And turn to Christ for forgiveness of your sins. Forsake those and run to Christ. Forsake your, your, your self-righteousness. All those things that you think can make you better in God's eyes. No. Forsake all that. Turn from that. That's what repentance is. Turn. It's a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of attitude. Turn away from that and turn to Christ, who alone can save you. Do so without delay. You may not have tomorrow. Believe in your heart that Jesus died for sinners and that if you accept Him by faith, He will save you. Believe that. Dear saints, let us rejoice in this holy ordinance as we look to Christ. You see, we too need to continually look to Christ. We too need to continually repent of our sins and run to Christ. We too continually need God's saving grace in our lives. God's transforming grace in our lives. God's sanctifying grace in our lives. Run to Christ, dear ones. Run to Christ, believers. Remember what He has done for us. Remember who we are in Christ as we partake of these elements. 
Seek the full benefits that are yours in Christ Jesus through faith. Forgiveness of sin, eternal life, fellowship one with another. Receive these benefits of Christ in receiving these elements. And proclaim until His glorious return, His death, burial, and resurrection. Proclaim the gospel. That is the lost's only hope. Proclaim the gospel. Jesus died to save sinners. And He's not dead anymore. He is alive forevermore. He will never die again. Death cannot keep Him. Death cannot touch Him. And that's another benefit that we have in Christ. Though we die, yet will we live. Because He is the resurrection and the life. Dear ones, let us come to this table not in our own worth and merit, not in an unworthy manner, but let's come in the worth and in the merit of Christ and for all that means to us and for all that gives to us His worth, His righteousness, His life. In the words of Augustus M. Toplady, who penned these words in 1776, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless flee to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Let's pray. Holy Father, as we prepare to approach this sacred table. Father, help us to examine our hearts. Help us to confess our sins to you in faith, knowing that we have forgiveness in Christ. Help us to turn from our sins and forsake them and turning to Christ and loving Him and adoring Him, seeing in Him the altogether lovely one, the only Savior and Redeemer of our souls. Help us to flee to Christ for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At Emmanuel Baptist Church, we practice a, an open yet guarded communion. We don't have a closed table. Um, but you've heard the requirements. You have heard the requirements. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are endeavoring in, in all your life to serve Him and to love Him and to, and to be obedient and your covenant commitments with your church, and your covenant commitments with your family, and your dealings with the lost, and your love for the brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are being faithful and striving to be faithful, not, not perfect, but, but trying to be faithful in all these areas, come to the table 
and partake of Christ in faith. I urge you. We start over here. If you would come and collect the elements, um, the wine, I believe, is on this side. The grape juice is on this side. If you would partake of the, collect the elements and go sit back down, and then we will collectively together partake of these elements. Yes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are eternally grateful and thankful for your sacrifice, for your body which was broken on our behalf, for taking the punishment that we so rightly deserve, 
And as we crush this bread between our teeth, let us, Lord Jesus, partake of you and all the benefits that we have from your broken body. And as you said that you are the bread of life, and so we ask that you would be in us and we in you. We thank you in your holy name. Amen. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Pastor Thomas, would you offer a word of thanks to the Lord for his spilled blood? Dear Lord and Savior, we do ask that you would bless the cup that we now hold. Hmm. And it is not common, but it is holy. Yes. We ask, Lord, that you grant it to be so. Hold this emblem in our hands that represents the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you, Lord, that we have such a great, sovereign, and gracious Savior to whom you are. Knowing that we have the promise of forgiveness of sins. And Lord, we hold this cup as sinners. Daily in need of the message of Christ, daily in need of the yes. message of the gospel. Yes. Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There is no sin too great that your blood cannot cover. There is no person so low hmm. that you cannot lift up. There is none so invisible that are not known before you. The Lord, you did not die in vain, nor, Lord, did you die for faceless people that you took upon yourself the sins of your people, of your bride, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Encourage us, strengthen us, grow us in knowledge and in love of you as we receive this cup of thanksgiving in your blessed and holy name. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us do so faithfully and joyfully until our Savior returns and brings us home where we will then drink the cup of the Lord's wedding feast. Let's stand together and sing um, hymn number 209, Rock of Ages.
receive now the benediction and we will close by singing the doxology the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with you all amen to invite you all to join us for a fellowship meal in the fellowship hall.